Hello and welcome to season five of The Writer's Mindset with me, Ellie Betts. Christina is still hiding away, hard at work on our patron exclusive series, Healthy Habits. We're here to create a community of authors who persevere, are their most productive selves and publish at a speed that they are comfortable with. This week, Christina and I spoke to Helen Scheurer about writing a successful series. Helen Scheurer is the YA fantasy author of the best-selling trilogy, The Oromir Chronicles, and The Curse of the Siren Queen Quartet. Her work has been highly praised for its strong, flawed female characters and its action-packed plots. More recently, she's also delved into publishing advice for authors with her debut non-fiction book, How to Write a Successful Series. Helen's love of writing books led her to pursue a Bachelor's of Creative Writing at the University of Wollongong and a Master's of Publishing at the University of Sydney. Now a full-time author, Helen lives amidst the mountains in central Otago, New Zealand, and is constantly dreaming up new stories. I do want to say a big thank you to all of our patrons for your support. We couldn't do this without you. As a patron, you get early access to episodes, bonus content, and our undying gratitude for supporting all the hard work that goes into making these episodes to inspire and motivate you. And as I mentioned, Christina has been working hard on that patron exclusive series, Healthy Habits. We've had a lot of great feedback so far. It is definitely worth checking out. Healthy Habits is available on our Patreon. If you want to find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash writers mindset. With Ellie and me today is Helen Scheurer. Welcome to the Writer's Mindset. I hope I said your name right. <laughs> <laughs> you did. You did. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I'm excited. We absolutely loved your book for the record. It was, I had three new ideas just on what I was working on while reading through it but we'll probably get to that later for anyone who isn't familiar with why we're here today and hasn't heard of you can you just explain a little bit about who you are and what you do please yeah sure um so I am a full-time fantasy author originally from Australia now currently living in New Zealand um I write epic fantasy with strong female leads and action-packed plots and I'm currently writing my 10th book while I try not to freeze to death here in New Zealand. But I guess why we're really here today is because I am releasing my debut non-fiction book, which is How to Write a Successful Series. I got um, the proof copies yesterday, so I'm, I'm just sort of showing them off because I'm a bit excited. That's <laughs> um, super exciting. So this this book will come out on uh, August 11th. Um, so it's, it's up on all the retailers and stuff now. But yeah, so I, I guess we're here to discuss that. We are indeed. Um, what was it that inspired you, though, to write a book about writing series? <laughs> um, so I, was, I had been considering writing a nonfiction book for a while just because you, you just learn so much while you're writing and indie publishing. And it, I, I enjoy actually documenting the process of, of what I learn. Like I, I keep author diaries and things like that. Um, and so I, I sort of had a vague idea about writing a nonfiction book. And originally it was more about long-term strategies, which is just super broad, super vague. Um, and I started writing that book as, you know, long-term strategies for success for indie authors. And um, what I sort of found in writing that draft 
was that a lot of it came back to writing a series and that a lot of the strategies that I had implemented in my own fiction and my own indie career had to do with writing a series. So yeah, that's, it, it just sort of went from there and uh, um, turned into the book it is now. That's really interesting because I've certainly found that like it is my series that are, you know, the kind of, I'm trying to think of the word, it's a Friday night, it's been a busy week, my brain's <laughs> dead, um, but it's having a series that makes a difference. And because of the genre I write in, most people don't write series about the same characters. It tends to be one book's about one character and the next book's about the bestie and the next book's about that. And with my series, I just followed the same four characters through five books. And I think that really helps people to kind of form that emotional connection to the characters much more than you get if only one book is about them. Definitely. I definitely agree. And that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm so obsessed with reading series and writing series and talking about series is because when you do have that longer stretch of time to connect to the characters, to get invested in their journey and the stories, um, you know, it, it's just so rewarding both for the reader and the writer, I think. Yeah, exactly. So there are two types of series that you mention in, our book, in your book. Sorry. Um, can you just explain what they are and why it's important to know the difference? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the two definitions I have are just my definitions. I'm sure there are plenty of other um, different perspectives out there. Um, but in my book, I talk about a dynamic series versus a static or an episodic series. And a dynamic series is pretty much what you've just described, where it follows the same plot unfolding, the same cast of characters and the different events across multiple books. And each book builds upon the last. So with a dynamic series, you probably wouldn't go in to read book three before you've read books one and two, if that makes sense. Whereas a static series, you can follow the same character, but usually they don't change that much across, across the course of the book. Um, and each book contains a new plot, a new obstacle, and they, each one is contained within itself. And with a static or an episodic series, you could potentially read book three before you've read book one and two. Um, so you can sort of dip in and out of it. As for knowing the difference, I think that matters because you need to know how to meet your audience's expectations. A lot of that comes down to knowing your genre. But once you know your genre, you'll have a better sense for whether the series that you're working on should be dynamic or static. Um, and it's like you were pointing out before, there are certain series that follow a cast of characters, but each book is their own, um, like it could be the main, main character, then their brother, then their other brother. And that is, I know that's quite common in romance, whereas fantasy, a dynamic series is more common. Um, so just knowing the difference helps you meet your audience's expectations. That makes sense. I mean, I've never heard of those two differences being described in in that kind of de um, detail before, or I've never really heard about that being talked much, to be honest with you. Although most of the people we've mentioned series to, most of our interviewees are very much pro-series. You know, that's what people want mm. most of the time, right? Yeah, definitely. I think it's also, you know, with, with Netflix and the sort of binge culture that we have now, series, you know, it helps eliminate decision fatigue, you get invested in the characters and it's almost like a sense of comfort that you get from staying in the one world with the same cast of characters. I mean, that's one of many reasons why series are so popular and important and also profitable for authors. Yeah, that's why I wanted to release the first four Afterlife Calls books in a short space of time. And I ended up doing it in like a year and a day or something. And it's wow. because it's 
to be fair, I did write them before that. I was writing them almost a year before that. So I'd got a lot of like buffer time before I started to tell anyone it existed. But yeah. I wanted to release them close together because from book one right up until book four, it's leading to the end of book four, essentially. And there are some standalone stories within them, but there are questions tied to that that aren't necessarily answered because they're all tied to this one particular character. And it's very satisfying to have readers, arc readers, email me and say, I never saw that coming. <laughs> Because it's yeah. the first time I've done something that big. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, I felt quite smug, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I, w- I won't be going that fast again, though. Time to stay. It's a, it's, a, it's, a big, it's a big thing to release that many books in such a short space of time, even if you do stockpile them. Um, yeah. I've done a similar thing with my Curse of the Siren Queen series. I released three in the space of just, just under a year, um, and they're big books. They're, you know, around 120,000 words each. Oof. And not only is that just a lot of work, but it's a lot of upfront cost to stockpile and, and release books like that. But the other thing that I found like quite interesting about the whole stockpiling and then releasing, you know, relatively rapidly is that it's, it almost forms a bit of a disconnect between you and your audience in that the book that you're working on is one that you've not even talked about yet. And, you know, like they're still talking about book one and you're working on book three or four. And there is this sort of gap then between you and the audience. And you start, not not that it's uh, not genuine when you're talking about the books, but you feel a little bit disconnected in in that you're not working on something in real time while your audience is reading it. Yeah, I totally get that. Ellie and I have had to cut some things out of the podcast that we've recorded before because we mentioned characters that don't exist yet or things that (laughs) are coming in like book three, book four, book six. Like there's one particular character that's introduced in book six. Ellie and I, and I think one other person are the only ones who know about it in the entire world. I just get so excited I get so excited because I really enjoy them like genuinely I know I know it seems like I might have to say that but I I promise I'm not just saying I do genuinely enjoy it so I get excited talking about them it's hard though to bite your tongue when you're like in the midst of working on it and you're excited about it or you're excited about what you're arc reading and you're like no spoilers stop it you (laughs) you have to kind of rein yourself in because obviously not everyone wants those spoilers you know Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the problem I'm having at the moment is that um, I've still got my nonfiction to come out. I've got uh, the finale of my Curse of the Siren Queen series, but I am over 85,000 words into a new series starter of a completely new book, completely new series. And I really want to talk about it, but I think it would be a bit information overload to start talking about a series that isn't coming out for potentially another year. So it's yeah. really weird finding that balance between what you can talk about and what you should talk about and, you know, maybe overloading people with information that, you know, they're not going to remember in a year. So you may as well just, you know, hold your tongue, wait and, you know, pick your moment uh, more strategically. Yeah, you could always stockpile some of those things you want to talk about as like marketing ideas for when you're ready to kind of ramp up that I found that really helpful and if you look at like some shows like Stranger Things and the Umbrella Academy they have behind the scenes photos that were probably taken a year ago and they yeah. release them when the episodes come out and like yeah definitely um, I won't say spoilers for Stranger Things but there is a video out of someone being put into their costume and that must have obviously been done ages ago because they yeah. finished editing it at the beginning of June um, but they've held on to that, ready to release it for when enough of the fan base is aware of who this character is. And I think that's quite 
clever because most of us authors we're always forgetting about that kind of marketing side because we're so busy thinking about the next thing as you say we should yeah, uh, get some shots of you getting into your costume Chrissy what you mean just putting a sheet over my head and cutting some slits in the eyes <laughs> <laughs> it would work um, <laughs> on a slightly related note then Helen what are <laughs> some common problems that you see writers facing when it comes to creating that series Right. So I've got, um, I think I've got a whole chapter in the book about, you know, mistakes and lessons learned because I've made my fair share, um, as you all do when, you know, I think you do it with every new series, no matter how many you've written. Um, but some of the most common ones that I've seen or that I've made myself, uh, number one is putting too much into the first book. Like you get all your crazy ideas and you think, oh, I'm just going to jam pack it into the first book. And that's, you know, that's not necessarily the best thing to do. Um, you might end up with a much like thicker first book. You might end up with a book that the pacing is, you know, too intense. Um, so having a think about what you're going to put into that first book, making strategic choices about the plot points, about the character arcs, and also sort of realising you do have, if you are writing a series, you've got multiple books to thread all this amazing stuff through. You don't need to just put it all in the one book. Another one is middle book syndrome, which can happen if you do the first mistake. Um, you put everything into your first book and then you get to your second book and you go, oh, now what do I do with this? And the middle book syndrome is often when, you know, a second or third book in a series somewhere in the middle, it, it doesn't have its own complete arc. And so it sort of falls flat. Um, and that's something, that's a mistake I've made myself with my first series when, um, I think it was my second my second book in my first series, one of my beta readers came to me and said, this, this has definitely got middle book syndrome. We need to, um, you know, complete the arc. We need to make it still have that three-act structure that you had in the first book and, you know, that you want to continue. So that's definitely another one. And I suppose one other one I would say is just getting overwhelmed and feeling defeated um, by the, you know, prospects because it is it's such a huge task to, to create a series. Um, so yeah, definitely maybe getting overwhelmed at the beginning and then either not going ahead or just having that defeated feeling as they go through the series, which you don't want, you want to be able to enjoy your series because you are sticking with it for quite a long time. So yeah, those are some of the the common mistakes I've seen. That's interesting. I am a at the very start of trying to write a series right now. So I'm going to um, make sure I make notes and, write, and make sure I bring all of this in mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I'm, I'm, I'm at the start of a new series and I, I still get overwhelmed. Like it's, it's just a huge, huge task. And I think one of the things you just need to do is attack it from like a break, breaking it down point of view. So, you know, like instead of trying to do the characters, the plot, the pacing, the setting, all of that all at once, take one element and work on that. And then, you know, it, it becomes, you layer it all together then eventually. So that's, that's how I try to, to combat that initial sort of deer in the headlights feeling. Hmm. Okay. When it comes to writing that series then or, or planning that series, how important would you say outlining is um, in terms of getting it written and published? Is outlining useful? <laughs> Um, I think it really depends on the author. So I'm I'm an outliner myself. Um, you can see behind me that my whiteboards, that's all me brainstorming and then taking that information and putting it into basically a, a template with the three-act structure and all of that. 
I find outlining really useful in that when I then sit down to write, I'm not sat there trying to come up with the story and, and feeling a bit like stumped as to what to write. So I usually write with the manuscript on one screen and my outline on the other. And that has helped me immensely over the years. So, and that's something that I've developed as part of my process from like five years ago. So it's definitely changed over time, but not everybody is an outliner. Like I know there are plenty of people who um, the thought of outlining, it sort of kills their creativity and they get a lot of joy and inspiration from the discovery through the act of writing. So yeah, it, it totally, totally depends. And I think, you know, every author needs to sort of experiment, do trial and error to see what works for them. Um, when I was writing How to Write a Successful Series um, and I had my beta reader look through it, she actually suggested having a chapter on outlining, which was my experience, but then interviewing other authors who are discovery writers. So in the book, there are two side-by-side -side chapters for each type of writer um, because I am very aware that not everybody has the same process as me. And I would never say to someone, you have to outline. Um, but I would say that the authors that I did interview for discovery writing, they had their own processes and systems to combat anything that me as an outliner sees as a potential issue. So it was really interesting talking to them to find out what their process is and how they approach a series. Because again, it is this huge task and my little mind couldn't wrap around how you would do it without planning. Um, but these incredible authors do and they have their own processes in place to get things done and it, it was really interesting talking to them. Um, that was a very rambling uh, answer to that question. <laughs> no, it was a great answer. Out of interest, do you have an example of one of those things where you said something that an outliner would see as a problem but the discovery writers had a solution for? Yeah, so I suppose one of the things would be um, weaving through breadcrumbs and clues in earlier books for something that's going to happen in a later book. And for me, as an outliner, if, if I don't know what's going to happen in that later book, how do I then put a clue in the first book to then have that really organic build up to the main event that happens later on? And um, what I found was that the discovery writers, while they don't outline, one of them said that he sort of not outlined as he wrote, but as he wrote, he had a wall of like post-it notes or something similar. And he made a note of what happened in each chapter as he wrote it. So then when he came to the later book, he could look back at this, you know, map, I suppose, of what he'd written and pick and choose elements to then bring into that later book. So it still had that you know, thread throughout the, the books that came after. And I thought that was a really interesting, really clever way of still having that foreshadowing throughout without having to know what happens six books in. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, sort of like backwards outlining. I was about to yeah. say that. <laughs> or, like, or like outlining in real time. Yeah, 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 exactly. Although, yeah, I know. I mean, if they say that it's not outlining, it's not outlining. But no, that's, that's really interesting. Thank you for the example. Mm. It, it's yeah, funny because, right. like, when I started out, obviously we didn't know each other back then, Ellie, but thought of any sort of outline or guide or anything was, like, full-on panic attack-inducing for me. I didn't do any sort of planning, really, for my first book, but I ended up rewriting it multiple times and cutting over 100,000 words, and wow. the book itself is 92,000. 
So after that and realizing I had four main characters and two side characters who would get their own spin-off, I had to do more. And ever since then, I've been kind of refining that process and going into more depth. And then last summer, when we interviewed a bunch of writers like Matthew Dalrymple, Elizabeth Spankraig, and they talked about their outlining processes, I thought, hang on a minute. These are people writing crime and mystery, a little bit of fantasy. They're genres I want to go into. I should probably listen and pay attention to what they're doing because it seems to be working for them, especially given that I'm inclined to forget some of the threads I put in these books. And since I started outlining, my head just feels clearer when I'm writing because I can roll out of bed and just write a chapter and I'm not going, well, what happens next? I already know what happens next. You know, I know the characters are going to board a plane and something's going to go wrong that doesn't actually happen it was just the first thing that came into my head (laughs) so it does definitely make it easier but I think I had to go on that journey to find outlining almost because I have found every book has had a slightly different process depending on where I'm at mentally and physically absolutely and that that process sounds very similar to my own um like discovery of my own process like the the Oromi Chronicles which is my first series I didn't really plan like I did NaNoWriMo for the first book got it out and then I published it like I didn't even think to stockpile or think about what happens in the later books to put those breadcrumbs through the first one um and similar to you when it came to the third book um the the finale I had to do a lot of reworking and a lot of problem solving to you know get myself out of certain uh corners that I'd backed myself into and I found that part of the process very painful. And so when it came to the next series, I thought, well, what can I do to avoid some of that? But I mean, in saying that, no matter how much you outline, no matter how much you plan, I think, like you said, every series has a different, a slightly different process. And there is always going to be an element of problem solving. So it's never going to be perfect. But I think as as authors, with every book, with every series we we write, we just refine our process again and again and again and, you know, just hope it gets easier at some point. And I think, like, part of our job as writers is to be problem solvers, both when Mm -hmm. we're actually working out the plot and also when we're trying to fix any plot holes that we spot. Yeah, absolutely. But there are times when we get to plot holes or, say, we've done a George R.R. Martin and killed off a character we need and we get really stuck. So... Is it possible to salvage a series if you've dug yourself into a hole and you full on can't find a way out? Yeah, I, I think so. Like, as, as I said, like, no matter how much planning you do, there is going to always be an element of, of problem solving when it comes to writing a series. Like, you know, you could be dealing with upwards of 10 books. They're never, it's never going to go as smoothly as you want it to. Um, my sort of, I guess, suggestion for digging yourself out of a hole would be to talk to your beta readers, brainstorm with them, get feedback. That's that's how I solved the problems I ran into in my third book, um, just by throwing ideas out there and talking to someone else. Um, beta readers are such a huge part of my process anyway, um, but just getting other people's perspectives because, you know, you're potentially 120,000 words into this book, you've been working on it for months, um, you know, you're starting to feel a bit like antsy about wanting to move on and you probably can't see the bigger picture at that point. You're just too close to it. Um, so, yeah, I think the the main tool I've used to, to dig myself out of holes like that is just talking to other people, getting feedback from beta readers and, and trying to brainstorm solutions because, 
you know, you are the, the master of this universe. You can find a solution. You get to make it up. It's just, you know, you've got to um, sort of take a step back to be able to see the whole, the whole picture. Yeah, I realized when I was working on book four that I'd kind of done something, added something at the last minute into book one that made book four harder. And I was like, this thing that's happened in book one is going to feel just like a plonk shit there for shits and giggles if I don't bring it back in book four. And I didn't want it to be that kind of book. So I Mm -hmm. spent absolutely ages trying to work out how to bring this thing back. I'd already done a draft of book one at that point. And then I just decided, you know, I'm going to read a bunch of craft books. I'm just going to focus on reading craft books. And I read um, Sasha Black's How to Write Super Bad Villains. And that was like a light bulb for me because it just created this snowball. I had one idea of how to make the climax even worse. And then it just kept getting worse and worse and worse for the characters. And then even after I got feedback from the beta readers, I amped it up even further. Yeah, getting that feedback and also reading those craft books is what really pushed me to challenge myself and not kind of keep treating it like the same thing in a slightly different book and keep challenging myself to better myself that's one of the things I really like about fantasy is that there's so much you can explore and so much you can do it almost feels limitless because it's even more made up than other genres except sci-fi yeah yeah definitely it sounds like a lot to take in I'm um, not scared at all I promise but uh <laughs> What would be your advice to a newbie like me um, who's just starting out, maybe because I know a lot of our listeners are in a similar boat to I am. So what would be your advice to someone in that position who is feeling a bit overwhelmed by the prospect of writing a series, even if that's what they're sure they want to do? Okay. um, So firstly, I would suggest that you read a lot of series in your genre and just sort of keep your finger on the pulse as to the expectations of readers and the the market and all of that. So just have that sort of familiarity in mind. But when you are approaching a new series, I think I think even like seasoned authors get overwhelmed when they start from scratch again. So I would suggest just taking a deep breath, stepping back from it for a bit and sort of realising that a series doesn't come together all at once. It's not like you're going to sit down one day and have the perfect idea for the perfect series, perfect cast of characters, and, you know, then you just get to sit down and write. That is not my experience, and I don't, I don't think I know any author who's had that experience. So I think I sort of mentioned this before, but I would suggest focusing on one element at a time. Um, so whether it's developing your characters, whether it's developing your world, and just sort of starting small and starting from there and then building outwards. My series come together very much layer by layer. Everything is very skeletal to begin with and very slowly, brick by brick, I build the characters, the story, the world. And that's always easier to tell someone to do rather than do it yourself. I had this experience only recently when I've been starting to put together a new series myself and the thing that helped me the most was just focusing on the world and focusing on the map. Someone else might like to focus on the cast of characters. And for me, the world was the best place to start because epic fantasy, a a lot of my books have big quests in it. I needed to know where things were, where I wanted characters to go. And once I sort of had a very, very um, basic map, then I could start to figure out 
who was going where, why they were going, what was influencing them to go certain places. And it, and it just built outwards from there. So I think when you are feeling that sense of overwhelm, just to sort of bring yourself back and focus on one thing and just have the knowledge that it will come together a little bit by little bit and not all at once. Um, so, yeah. It's really hard, I think, though, sometimes, isn't it? That was the issue I had when I moved into fantasy. Like, the world-building aspect of it, my head nearly exploded. Yeah, it is intense. Like, it's yeah. that whole uh, iceberg metaphor as well. You know, you only see the the tip of it poking out of the water, but what the work you've done underneath is just this huge mass. Um, and, you know, having to choose what to include and what not to include out of the work that you've done, um, there is, like, an element of, of decision fatigue and, and panic there. You want to be including the right things and making the world as rich as possible without you know, dumping it all on the reader. So there is um, there is definitely that aspect to it. Yeah, I, I had the opposite issue, which was that I tried to get away with not including the world building. <laughs> um, Ellie kept pushing me and going, how does this work? What does this look like? And I'm like, shut She's up. She's so mad. She's so mad. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had two out of three beta readers asking me the same questions, which is a sign I've got to fix it. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't want to because I quit writing fantasy for a decade because I hated world building. <laughs> but you did such a good job, though. Like once you went through the process of actually working those things out and like you say, doing all the stuff that's under the water of the iceberg, it, it made it such a, a richer, a more rich such I can speak English, a, a, a nice rich world. Um, and it works really well now. Thank you. And, and it's funny because obviously I, I didn't like world building and then I realized I needed to put all the notes I'd got on various aspects aspects of it into like a document of some kind. And I decided mm-hmm. to sit down and do it during a writing sprint with my friend rather than like just because the accountability would mean I'm actually doing it rather than procrastinating on it. And I ended up enjoying it and doing it for an hour longer. <laughs> and like expanding on things that aren't going to be in the series for like several yeah. more books or even till the end of the series which is going to be about book 20 so <laughs> that was how far ahead my brain was thinking and how much I ended up enjoying it because I guess like it was an element of challenging myself and problem solving and I liked that aspect of it like trying to poke holes in things yeah definitely I think you touched on something really interesting there like keeping it all in a document um in my book, I've got a whole uh, chapter on keeping a series Bible, which is pretty much what you're describing. And when you are writing a series that is, say, 20 books long, but even if you're writing a duology or a trilogy, having all that information in the one place, it will save you so much heartache down the road. That is something I did not do with my first series. And by the time it got to book three, I really regretted that because it meant I was either going to have to read these 120,000 word books from start to finish, which when you've read them 18 million times, you don't want to read them again to find out the color of someone's eyes in chapter seven, you know? Um, so keeping a series Bible like you've done is one of the, the best like strategic things I think a series writer can do. Yeah. And you, in that chapter, I really enjoyed it because you mentioned some things I hadn't thought to include. So I need to go back through my notes from that chapter and add them into what I've got, because a lot (laughs) of what I've got at the moment is mostly how different magical powers and creatures work. Um, And there was some other stuff that you mentioned, like, yeah, I should include that. I didn't think of that. And there's quite a few there. I'm like, this goes back to the world building I was trying to get out of doing. (laughs) (laughs) 
needs must. I'm all for making our lives easier, especially further down the road. And I think that was why I didn't want to do the world building was because it was easier in the present moment. But then I was talking to one of my author friends and she said, you know, you, you do this upfront now and you don't have to do it again. And my brain was like, okay, I'm, I'm sold. That's it. I'm sold just because, you know, don't have to think about it again. And then I'm not shooting myself in the foot when it comes to book four, book five, book six, when the powers are getting stronger and more complicated and there's more characters to juggle. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, like one of the things I sort of highlight in the book is that, you know, you don't necessarily need to sit down one day and write a series Bible before you, you know, write your book. What I do is I have an open document called the series Bible. And as I'm writing, while I'm making decisions, whether it's, you know, that someone's hair color or the type of magic that they have or the name of some mythical creature, I write those into the series Bible as I'm writing. So it's not like I have to come back later and pick things out and put it in or start the series Bible and and write it from the beginning. It's it's a living document. It grows as the book and the series grows. You know, it started out as a blank document. And now, like, for example, the series Bible for Curse of Siren Queen, I think it's about 65 pages long. Um, but that's that's happened over, you know, the last two years of, of creating that series. And not everybody needs to have a series Bible that long. Um, if you're writing something more contemporary, you might have, you know, the list of, of shops in a town or, you know, the, the family tree of the family that, you know, the, the book is exploring. It totally depends on what you're writing and, and how in-depth you want to go. But if you are writing a series, I think keeping a series Bible or something similar will definitely help you further down the line. I'm going to start my series Bible um, today. Yeah, do it, do it. Good. <laughs> yeah, I created mine after I finished book four, actually. Um, because I realized I got so much stuff in various places and also because I wanted to start writing down the law for one of the new things I'm bringing in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to make sure I've got it right now as I'm finally starting to introduce this character in book six um, because if I can nail that law now, then I can foreshadow it and mm-hmm. get it right and... It has the approval of other people who are aware of what I'm attempting to do. And that's all I'm going to say, because I'm going to blurt out spoilers. Ellie, please stop me and ask that. <laughs> no question. spoilers. Let's move on. Okay. <laughs> In terms of the actual characters, then, why is it important to have a protagonist who makes choices that drive the narrative rather than things just happening to the characters? Right. So I think that's uh, that's a mistake. Oh, Mistake, maybe that's too harsh a word, but that's something that a lot of newer authors do is have everything happen to the character rather than the character making their own choices. And I think when everything is happening to the character, it makes them very passive, whereas if your main character is making choices from the, for themselves, it gives them agency, it gives them a stronger character uh, for readers to root for. Um, and that doesn't mean that things can't happen to them. I mean, a lot of inciting incidents in books is stuff happening to the main character and it's their reaction. But, you know, it it helps to have them make their own decisions and have them make mistakes, have them grow. And that's so your readers relate to them. And if you want a reader to invest in a series, you need to have characters that the readers relate to. And I think, you know, having them make choices and they don't have to be good choices. 
but they need to have that driving force within them to carry that character and their growth across multiple books. Um, so, yeah, I think that's sort of why that's quite important. Yeah, and I think some genres are probably more prone to doing that than others. Mm-hmm. The more you're saying that, and I think I had the feeling in the back of my head anyway, but the more you're saying that, the more I'm thinking, yeah, I think I am doing that a bit in my current work in progress because it definitely needs some work. <laughs> it's <laughs> um, a work in progress. Work it'll, it'll get there. I think that's interesting and I will um, definitely be working on that. My background in women's fiction helped with that when I came to doing it with my fantasy because so much of that is based on how the characters respond to what has happened to them and they need that reaction, that agency. A lot more modern writing is about that action and that agency compared to some older stuff, which probably is a bit more passive, particularly for female characters. Yeah, definitely. The next question feels very appropriate um, because I'm clearly losing the plot because I'm drained. What is series fatigue? And what are your top tips for overcoming it? Because I know I've definitely experienced this in the past. Yeah. And no um, one else I know has mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't know where that sort of term has come from. That's just how I know I felt about my series at one point or another. Um, so series fatigue is pretty much what it says on the label. It's, you know, when an author is just exhausted at the, at the thought of continuing work on a series. And I think that can happen because of burnout, which whether that's to do with writing or, you know, life, um, it can have to do with poor sales or problems in the story. Basically, a range of reasons, uh, for a range of reasons, an author can experience decision fatigue. And I guess my sort of top tips for overcoming it would be firstly, take a break, which I know it sounds really obvious, but I think it's something that a lot of authors really struggle to do. And I know I'm guilty of it that when I am feeling, and I don't want to say blocked, but when I am, you know, facing that sort of, um, feeling with my work where I just don't want to do it anymore. I'm just exhausted. I've been hammering out however many words a day. I've been living in this world for, you know, it could be it could be a month like NaNoWriMo, but also people write series over the course of years. You can be with characters and plot lines and all these sorts of things for years and years. So I think it is quite natural sometimes to have an element of fatigue with a series. So the first thing I would say, would be to take a break. Um, and, you know, whether that means you work on something else, whether that means you take a break from writing altogether, I think it's really important sometimes to put a bit of distance between you and your work. Um, another thing I'd say is talk to someone. So um, the the main memory I have of having series fatigue uh, was with that third book in the Oromir Chronicles where I had I had backed myself into so many corners I'd been in the in the world and in that series for three years and I was just sort of like, I just want it to be done so I can move on to something else. And I found that talking to people, namely my, my beta readers, really helped because sometimes when you don't have the enthusiasm for your work, someone else who does can sort of revive it in you. And talking to people who love your work and who want to see it through as much as you do can really sort of rejuvenate that passion you have or had for your series. Um, And the other thing that I would say is to prioritize creative input. 
And I think that sounds a little bit wanky, but it has helped me so much in a way that I, I didn't really realize it could. So what I mean by that is read, read books for pleasure, watch TV series for pleasure, um, you know, go on walks or whatever it is that, you know, makes you feel refreshed and creative and inspired. Don't think of that as, you know, you're, you're taking a holiday or something. That is part of your work. That is part of the creative process. And I sort of fell into this trap earlier this year when I was trying to come up with um, ideas for my new series, but I couldn't actually remember the last time I'd read a book for pleasure and not research or marketing or you know, work in general. And um, it was it was a friend of mine who said, when was the last time you read a book for you? And it and that it, it didn't have to be in your genre. It didn't have to be research um, because, you know, sometimes I find it hard to differentiate between reading for pleasure and reading for work because I love fantasy as a genre and I enjoy reading it. But what I was doing was reading so much fantasy in a sort of author mindset rather than a reader mindset and trying to pick out tropes and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I ended up reading something totally, totally different, some uh, romance thing that was like way outside of what I normally read. And I got addicted and I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And suddenly that weight just lifted from my shoulders. And even though that book had nothing to do with what I was working on, just lifting that weight and actually doing something for creative joy really helped then revive how I was feeling about what I was working on. Um, so, yeah, definitely those two things. I should say that's excellent advice. This is very writer's mindset advice in terms of mm. taking a rest, looking after yourself, prioritising your mental health sometimes and doing what's good for you. So, yeah, all good advice for our listeners, Helen. Way it's back. also very easy to say it rather than yeah. do it yourself. And oh, I, yes. I definitely appreciate that, that I'm there. Oh, just do this, just do that. <laughs> um, meanwhile, you know, I hadn't read a book for my own pleasure for like six months. So I, I do understand that it, it is a lot easier to say these things than to do them. But sometimes you just need that reminder from someone on the outside telling you, like my friend saying, read a book for you. What are you doing? Yeah, I fell into the exact same trap um, because I was writing about the set. Well, I was publishing about the same characters for five years. And prior to that, I was writing about them for eight years. Wow. So it's not as long for my readers, but for me, you know, oh, that's definitely. a third of my life, nearly half my life. And it's, I did start to feel just really drained from doing it, particularly mm -hmm. because the later books in the universe, because there are three series in the universe, they're very heavy. They're covering things like addiction and eating disorders and adoption and relationship problems and the pressures of fame and all of these things that are very taxing on a person living them, but also to write about. And I just thought, I need yeah. to do something fun, you know? And I was binge reading fantasy at the time as kind of a mental break because a lot of fantasy isn't as heavy on those aspects or it takes kind of a different approach to them. And then I ended up writing the fantasy. And at the moment, I just find the fantasy is much more of an emotional escape, particularly mm -hmm. from the state of the world at the moment. It's Definitely, really, yeah. it just helps my brain to relax a bit. 
And also, mm-hmm. not going to lie, I guess it's that same reason people like um, playing The Sims is that you get to play God a bit, so you can just be really mean to fictional <laughs> people and there are no consequences to doing it. Yeah, at least just evil to her Sims. I was always nice to mine. <laughs> I am not. I actually... Most of the time, my Sims are like the most successful people ever. And I just sit here with like an empty bank account eating like instant noodles, just like, <laughs> oh, okay. just be jealous of my Sims. So, but no, I do, I do like being evil occasionally. I was mostly in it for the design aspect, which is ironic when you think about how much I hated world building. So, based on the stuff we've talked about earlier, what are some signs it's time to give up on a series, whether it's partially published? Or maybe you haven't published anything yet and it's still a work in progress, but you're kind of starting to second guess whether or not it's worth keeping going, given how much work it can be. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, First of all, like my sort of stance on partially published series is that you should, if you've started a series, you should really complete it. There are definitely exceptions to the rule and all all of that. But my sort of general stance on it is if you started to publish it and it's got a readership, it's a pretty risky move to just not finish it. Because what you're essentially doing is telling your readers who have stuck with you through what might have been a, a difficult series for you, you're telling them that there's a chance you when you write something new, you won't complete that. And it's sort of breaking their trust a little bit. It's sort of telling them that you can't be relied on to finish the stories that you start. And it's, you know, it's it's not really rewarding those people who have stuck with you. When you have started publishing to, to just not finish a series, it'll leave readers feeling burnt and they might not then read the stuff that you publish in the future. So with that, I would say if it's possible to wrap up the series, like say you've planned for a 10, 10 book series, but on book four, you think it's, it's no good, whether that's because of poor sales, whether it's because of poor reviews or you emotionally just cannot do it anymore. I would say, try and write a final book and wrap it up as best you can so that it does have an end. And I do talk about that in the how to write a successful series there's a chapter on exit and expansion strategies so you know before I guess before you start writing and this isn't necessarily outlining but having a general plan so if say you decided you wanted to write a nine book series potentially planning that series in you know linked trilogies so that if you get to the end of the first trilogy and it's either not going so well financially or you've decided you don't like it anymore, you're starting to resent it, Um, you have that sort of exit strategy where you could potentially wrap it up after three or you could wrap it up after six. Um, And, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, like having expansion strategies so that say I decided I, I wanted to write a trilogy but it goes gangbusters and it's doing amazing, having a sort of open loop within that first trilogy to then expand on that story is a really good strategy to have. Um, but yeah, going back to potentially giving up, if it's a work in progress, um, maybe you've started to resent the story. Maybe it's become really painful to write because of, you know, life. Maybe there's other stuff going on in your life that you, you've, it's made making this series really hard. Um, then it might be time to set it aside. I think if it's if you're feeling resentful, if it's making you down and depressed, if it's affecting you in a in a big way like that, maybe it's time to set it aside. And you know, giving up isn't necessarily giving up for good. 
it can be that you put that book in a drawer for a couple of months, a year, more, and then you can return to it later. Or maybe you can take what you've done and put it into something new further down the line. I would just say that, you know, no no series is going to be easy. It's never going to be easy the whole way through. Um, but I suppose if it is something that's causing you constant anxiety or grief, then it might be time to, to put it away. Yeah, I had an interesting discussion with one of our previous interviewees, GM, GM White, this morning and we were talking about when you're not quite ready to write something as well and like Mm -hmm. it's okay to put it away for a little bit I've got a series that I don't personally feel ready to write yet but I think there are some arcs in afterlife calls that will prepare me to be able to write that and Mm -hmm. I think it's okay to admit that you are not ready for that particular story yet sometimes you need to mature more in your skills to be able to tackle certain genres or certain themes and yeah absolutely to be able to say that I think takes a level of strength as well because you're mm-hmm. not saying I'm giving up you're saying actually I need to do some other things first that aren't necessarily easier but they're different and they hone those skills much more than diving into this really complicated idea does because you know, I've spoken to a lot of people and they want their first book to be like Lord of the Rings or some very complicated epic fantasy series that's a gazillion words and has all this world building and that makes their head explode just thinking about it. So how are they ever going to be able to write it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you learn so much with with each book. Like, you know, I look back on my first series and it's it's not perfect. It was a first series. I learned a lot with that first series. And then I wrote a second series and whatever I learned from that first one, I put into the second one. And whatever I've learned in that second one, I'm now going to put into my third one. I think being an author is just constantly refining not only your process, but your craft and putting those lessons that you've learned into place. And I think that's really relevant if you have got something that you don't feel ready to to write, um, whether it be because of theme or how complex it is or anything like that, you you will get there. It is just a matter of you know refining your own craft before you before you tackle it. Yeah, and remembering like that learning curve is not a straight line. Yeah, like everyone exactly. wants things like learning and healing, um, to happen in a straight line. Like depression doesn't get better in a straight line. Writing a book is not a straight line it's like it's not even a roller coaster it's just a constant series of loop the loops um you know so the more you're kind of open to that and kind of willing to go with it and just accept it's not going to happen the way you want I think and also open to the fact that you you are continuously learning I think the easier it gets and the more fun it gets because you're just embracing that kind of journey aspect of it rather than constantly focusing on the destination yeah Definitely. I agree. When it comes to getting our series out there, then, um, what sort of schedule would you recommend? When should we be releasing book one? And then should we be drafting book two before we release it or release it, uh, starting uh, book two before we've, uh, after we've released book one? What's your recommendation for that? <laughs> um, this is one of those, uh, it depends on the author sort of answers. Um, I think there's, there's definitely no one right way to release a series um, other than the, the way that's right for you as the author. I think once you start releasing in a certain way, whether it's rapid releasing, whether it's one book a year, you have to be consistent from then on 
would be the main thing that I say. So, you know, with, with the Oromir Chronicles, for instance, which was my first series, I only published one book a year um, and I did not stockpile. I wrote the first book, then I published the first book, then I wrote the second book, then I published the second book, etc. Whereas with uh, Curse of the Siren Queen, I took on a sort of more stockpile approach where I had written and, you know, edited and formatted and everything the first book and I drafted the second, I'd outlined the third all before that first one came out. And I went with a faster release schedule for that. But that was just what was right for me at the time. And, you know, I've found it less stressful for me personally to be a little bit deeper into the series before I release that first book. But, you know, that might not be right for everybody. I think as long as an author keeps their releases consistent, that's the most important thing and that's the, the the best way. And yeah, whether that's one book a year, whether that's one book a month, that's totally up to them and, and what's right for them and their lifestyle and their process and all of that. I would just say in terms of best release strategy is just be consistent. I definitely won't be doing one book a month. I would <laughs> Me much. either. I'm not ready for that kind of, <laughs> that level of uh, I'll be honest, releasing. the people I've spoken to who did that have ended up very burned out. And nearly mm. quit. I yeah. think I and would I have, if, I, if I attempted that. I, I couldn't go any faster than what I do. Um, I'm not entirely sure I want to. My fastest turnaround for a book was four months, I think. That's Five. fast. I think that's fast. That's very fast, yeah. Like, it's funny because when you're in the midst of it, it feels slow. And I think that's mm. just sometimes because you're so focused on it. And if you're writing about heavier topics, it can, the draining effect of it. Um, but it took me a long time to refine that. And I think if I wanted to, based on the new outlining process I have, I could go faster, but mm-hmm. I don't want to. No. <laughs> like no, you, mentally, you would end up burning yourself out. Yeah, I don't want to burn myself out publishing again. Like, I, I don't. Yeah, and you don't want to lose the joy for, for the story and the characters because you're so focused on getting X amount of words done per day in order to meet this sort of arbitrary target I really agree about when when you're in it it feels really slow and I had this realization only yesterday when I was doing I was scheduling social media and uh, the one year anniversary for A Lair of Bones which is the first book in Curse of the Siren Queen that's coming up in uh, in July and I just sort of had to take a moment and step back and go hang on has that only been out for a year because I've I've written and published books two, three, four is up on pre-order and with the editor. And I've also written a non-fiction book in between. And that year, while I was in the middle of it, just has felt like the longest time. And I feel like I'm not doing enough. I'm never doing enough. And then I went to schedule this celebratory one-year post and I was like, I've done all that in a year. And it was this very like sort of mind-boggling time warp feeling. Um, so, yeah. That's that's just a rambling add-on to what you were saying. You've actually just triggered the same thing in me. <laughs> next week is the one-year anniversary of publishing my first fantasy book, and I was so busy focusing on the release of book four, I forgot that. Right. I can't believe it's been a year already. Wow. Yeah, I think it was the 29th or the 28th of June. It was the 20-somethingth of June. So you've, you've done four books since since that first one came out? Yeah, and I published one in a different series as well. So I did one book in May last year, 
which was the fourth Hollywood gossip book. That was Hollywood Destiny. And then I did The Ghost Call in June last year, The Mummy's Curse in September. Um, Then in January, I published the fifth Hollywood gossip book, which was Hollywood Heartbreak. And that was the really draining one. Um, Then I did my next fantasy one, which was The Necromancer's Secret. And then I did The Witch's Sacrifice, which is what's coming out now. Um, That is a lot of books. Yeah. And like, I didn't consciously plan to release that fast. It wasn't an intentional thing. Um, And I don't know if I would want to replicate that process. Mm -hmm. Just because, not just because it was draining, but because I think it took some of the fun out of writing because of working on two different series at the same time. And my initial plan was to write one and edit the other. But I like just going hard on the writing for a few months and then hard on the editing for a few months and treating Mm -hmm. it that way because they're such different skills. And I find that I'm better at doing them when I really lead into them for X amount of time. Um, So at the moment, I'm just taking some time to just write my fantasy and just enjoy spending time with the characters and like I finished the first draft of book five like a couple of days after book four was done and that sounds really quick but I'd been writing it for nearly a year it's just that like I'd been kind of writing it on and off and because I'd had that outline I could dip into it whenever I had time to write and I just wanted to do the writing without worrying about other stuff yeah and I never would have been able to do that with any of my others because the that book book five in the afterlife Calls series which will be my 20th book is the first wow. one i've ever written in chronological order wow yeah Whew. well i hope you're doing something to celebrate everything you've done in the last year because that is an immense amount I should. <laughs> we will plan something we need to plan something we do that's true we do. I'm really I'm really big on celebrating everything like any excuse will do for me so when it's something as big as that I think you should definitely do something to celebrate. So then Helen what are the top three ingredients that every series needs to be successful? <laughs> um, oh that's a big question I think it's the same besides... to last because it's the big yeah <laughs> <laughs> you got me all comfortable and now you're just throwing the big one at me. Um, I guess besides the the obvious, like, you know, obviously you want great character, you want great story, you want great pacing. Um, the top three ingredients I would say would be breadcrumbs and foreshadowing and those, those things that you weave throughout each book throughout the series that then all come together in this big reward at the end. I think that's really important. Um, I think a rich world to explore and that. You know, I think when you when you talk about rich worlds and world building, everybody thinks fantasy and sci-fi. And I don't I don't mean it just limited to those two um, genres. A rich world can be any any genre. But what I mean by that is having, you know, detail, setting as character, having having things that make your world rich enough to sustain multiple books, having a world where the reader becomes familiar with that with that world and wants to return to it, you know. Um, so that, and then I would say, finally, a killer ending for each book in the series. And what I mean by that is having, having 
a complete arc within each book so that the reader is satisfied with each book, but then having a hook at the end of each book to lead into the next book because you want you want to create that intrigue, you want to create that addictive feeling to sort of take that reader by the hand and just drag them through the entire series. Um, so, yeah, those are the, the three things I would say. Love it. Those are excellent ingredients. Thank you very much. <laughs> they Sorry. are. No, no, what you but... said then about the world building reminded me of an interview we did recently. I want to say it was with Tammy Labrack, and she was talking about world building in her romances. And mm-hmm. what she often does for her billionaire romances is she looks up like the most expensive things people can do to really bring them to life for her readers. And then she uses that to inspire mailing list content. It's like, yeah, this thing that they did, it's actually legit. Go and check it out. So it's yeah, kind of cool. beneficial in multiple ways for further bringing that world to life and creating that emotional connection and kind of keeping the story going in the reader's mind almost. Mm-hmm, definitely. I definitely found that beneficial when I was working on what happens in books um, because a lot of the places, particularly in the earlier books, are based on real places. Um, And so I had to do a lot of research because I couldn't necessarily travel while I was writing to be able to bring those places to life and looking them up online and talking to people who'd been there and experienced it. You know, you can't quite get the same thing from reading online about like the smells and the sounds and stuff, but you can get that from talking yeah. to people who visited places. And I, I really like that because that's something you that that just cements it, I think, and makes it memorable. Even if the reader yeah. doesn't necessarily remember that description, they'll remember how vivid that world was in a good or a bad way. Yeah. What I really like about that is you've sort of touched on um something that I I think about like quite often is a lot of the time when you read a book or a series, you know, give it a couple of weeks, you can't remember what it was about, but you remember that feeling. You remember the feeling that you had when you closed that book. And I think a lot of that is to do with with the, the richness of the world that you've created. And you also touched on a really important thing that I don't think gets talked about as much is like developing all the five senses of, of the world, you know, the, the smells, the tastes and all of that. And that contributes hugely to creating a rich world. Speaking of books, one question we ask all our listeners that may or may not stump you. Um, some people don't plan this question in advance, so then it definitely stumps them. Um, what is one book that changed your life? <laughs> so I'm, I'm a planner. So I did plan ahead for this question, but even in planning, I still didn't have just one. Um, <laughs> and I also I, broke it down into fiction and non-fiction. <laughs> that's what I mean, who I interviewed yesterday had two. We've had a couple of other people who have had two as well. Hey, so. Sasha Black had an entire genre for her. There you go, interview. Sasha Black had a genre. <laughs> we don't, we don't have uh, two strict rules around here. Okay, good, good. So I'd say for fiction, um, a lot of the fantasy series that I read growing up, so um, Del Toro Quest, uh, the Tamora Pierce books, um, they really sort of um, contributed to my love of the genre and also the love of the series form. And then I would also say Throne of Throne of Glass, which I know is like a big cliche, um, but that sort of came to me at a time where I'd had a lot of literary fiction and classic 
books sort of shoved down my throat for a really long time and I'd sort of forgotten my love of fantasy and I sort of got wrapped up in this idea that in order to be a serious writer you had to write literary fiction and I sort of rediscovered my love of fantasy and love of addictive series through Throne of Glass. So while it's not the most highbrow uh, series, it it still holds a, a pretty special place for me because it did reintroduce fantasy to me and series to me. Um, and in terms of nonfiction, because I know there's obviously a lot of writers listening, um, two of the nonfiction books that I have found really, really sort of instrumental in changing either my thinking or challenging my ideas about my processes, one would be Rachel Aaron's 2K to 10K that was originally a blog post. And I think the blog post is still um, live on her website, but 2K to 10K is all about refining your writing process and optimizing your strengths and how to get as much work done while still having that enjoyment of the process. Um, I read that years ago and it's one that I I come back to time and time again when either I'm feeling a little bit stumped um, or maybe I I don't want to do a big edit, but I have to. So, you know, that's, that's a really good one. Um, and a more recent one is Zoe York's Romance Your Brand. And that's, a, that's three books that she's got out in that sort of nonfiction series. And even though it's, you know, sort of based around romance, I think it's really applicable to every, every author. And one of the concepts she talks about in that book is the concept of series 2.0. And that's something I talk about in um, my book and sort of, you know, use her concept as a launch pad for for my own experiences. Um, But Series 2.0 is basically the idea that um, you take what readers loved about your first series and you put it into your second series and you reiterate, you make it bigger, you make it better. And you just keep doing that until all your books are, you know, just building upon the best things about the previous one. And that really resonated with me deeply. And that's what I'm trying to emulate in my own um, series and my own processes. Um, so, yeah, I think that was like five books, but. <laughs> I'll allow it. That might be okay, a record. Thank you. Might actually be a record. Unless you count the genre thing. <laughs> and that's and that's with my um that's with my planning too. Imagine if I hadn't have seen that question beforehand. <laughs> yeah, just like twenty books. But that's fine. I yeah. mean, they, they sound like really interesting books, so it's worthwhile you sharing them with us. Cool. <laughs> um, for our lovely listeners, then, where can they go to find out more about you and your books? Um, so the best place would be my website, which is just helenshoira.com. And uh, there's a tab in the menu that's for authors where you can download um, a little package that I've made if you're interested in writing a series. It's basically got my entire series Bible as an example to sort of use for yourself. What else has it got? It's got like a, a series cheat sheet. So if you're planning on writing your own series, it might be a good place to start. So yeah, just Helen Scheurer forward slash for authors. But if you just go to Helen Scheurer, you'll find it because it's in the menu. Um, and yeah, that my website has all my um, my fiction stuff on it as well. Um, Instagram, I share a lot of um, my writing processes and what's going on, and um, all my books are on Amazon. Awesome, thank you. That has been really fun, and I've got even more ideas now. I've got some from your book, and I've got even more from talking to you. So yeah, oh, also awesome. my, my to be read pile just doubled. Um, yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> that that must be a common problem on this show, though. Every it every is. time you talk to people. <laughs> Yes, it's so episode. good. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Never going to run out of things to read. No. Yeah, that's true. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us, Helen. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thanks so much for having me, guys. It was a wonderful way to start my morning. If you enjoy the writer's mindset, we'd be super grateful if you could leave us a rating or review on the podcast platform of your choice. It really helps other writers find us so that we can help them achieve their wildest writing dreams too. And make sure you check out Helen's upcoming release, How to Write a Successful Series, that will be coming out on August the 11th, 2022. And don't forget, if you'd like early access to episodes, the chance to submit questions for our guests, and to listen to that new bonus series, Healthy Habits, come join us over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash writers mindset. We've got big things planned, and we can only do them with your support. Every little helps us to help you more, whether it's a rating, a review, or becoming a patron. We'll see you next time. Keep writing.